0: Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I am Lucas Mack, and it's such a pleasure having you join. And today, guys, I this this is hands down one of my favorite podcast episodes I've ever recorded, and it is with it's not he's not even a brother to me. He's uh, I mean he has a brother to me, but this man. Larry Yatch is the Navy SEAL that I have referenced many, many times on, my, on this podcast. And I've had him and his beautiful wife on um, before, but this episode is really powerful. And he breaks down the higher self, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Um, we get into a lot of stuff. And I, would, I will say again that he is the reason I'm alive today. He's an amazing man. I love him so much, and I know you're going to be blown away by this episode. So everyone enjoy. Well, everyone, like I mentioned, you've heard me talk about him a lot on the, the podcast, is because he's a big reason why I'm alive today. And uh, brother Larry, welcome, welcome back. Actually, you, you and Annie did a episode a long time ago, and yeah, it's and been a bit of
1: you- a little bit of time, but. Yeah good
0: to be back yeah it's nice to have you back you look great um so the word i mean i know you i know you get asked this every time but it's also the cross that you bear by going through what you've gone through um the word the title navy seal gets thrown around a lot and i was thinking about i mean with as it should but i know you get asked what it was like to be a navy seal what'd you go through but i want you to share before you even went to buds for everyone listening, like when you understand, when you hear someone is a Navy seal, and obviously there's varying degrees of seals, but just how tough <laughs> you guys are to go through buds. Can you share when you drove across country and you were in Dallas in that swimming pool and what happened to you and, and just your journey? <laughs> Cause that's a wild. Uh, journey, it's,
1: <laughs> it's interesting because I often, I often hear stories of people that wanted to be SEALs, but many of them never even got to the process of going into to buds. And many of them have reasons why they didn't. Like, right? because I, you know, I hurt my shoulder, or I, you know, I had vertigo once, and you know, I I couldn't, you know, they were saying that I couldn't go, or you know, there's always some reason. And the same thing of, of people who even get to buds and then next thing you know, they're not there for some reason other than they quit because it was too hard. Right. It was, it, was always, it was. I'm sorry. I always look at it as an excuse. So it's, you know, <laughs> weakness in my book. But but. What I think the stressing, the point I like to stress is that it's not an easy path for anyone. Like everyone's got barricades just to get there, much less get through the training. And and so then the, I share this story. So my best friend and I, uh, Ed Yieldhall, were, we had spent two years as roommates at the Naval Academy doing everything we needed to get the chance to to go to SEAL training out of the Naval Academy, which is very, very competitive and very hard. And we, we, we both were successful and we were assigned to the same class. And so we were having a going away party at what the time, the time of the time was my girlfriend at the time. So we had this huge party, you know, big uh, drunken fest. And about midnight, he and I ended up in the swimming pool and we were having a pulled noodle sword fight right those big bowl noodles and I lost the sword fight and hit me on the side of the head and I remember it hurt but I was quite inebriated and didn't really make too much sense of it and this would have been friday night and so I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next morning and when I woke up with a hangover there's blood all over my pillow and when I it was obviously coming from my ear and when I kind of checked the Valsalva maneuver, like to, to pressurize the ear, it just like hurt bubbles. Wow. So I'm like, that's not a good thing. My ear hurt quite a bit. So that Saturday I went to the clinic, the, the Naval clinic at the Naval Academy and the doctor looked at my ear and said, Oh, your eardrum's burst. So I tor- perforated the eardrum. There's a hole all the way through the eardrum. And he asked, well, what are what's your service time? Where are you going? So well, I'm leaving for buds tomorrow. And he's like, he said, no, you aren't. You can't go to seal training with a first eardrum and I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, you can't get it wet. Like there's nothing we can do for it. It's just time to heal it. It's going to take a, a number of months to heal and you can't get it wet while it's like this. And I said, well, well, why? He said, it, well, if it gets wet, it'll get infected. If it gets infected, you'll lose your hearing. And and I was not about to let this, because if they then call, if they then, if I miss that class, there's a good chance I'm not able to go, right? And that's it, because there's 15 other people waiting behind me to go in my, my place. And so I knew it was Saturday. I knew BUDS was closed. So I said, well, why don't you call... BUDS, that BUDS is the training program, call them and see if I should go or if I should stay here, knowing that it was closed and no one's going to be there. So they call and so no one's there. I said, well, I'm already scheduled. I'm going to go there. And so they put the notes in my record, my medical record, and I pulled them out, like pulled that sheet out of the medical record, waited till the nurse left her station and went in and deleted it Electronically as well, so there's now no record of of the burst eardrum, and get in the car with Ed, and we drive cross country, and I stopped with my parents in Dallas, and went to a, a ear, nose, and throat specialist to find out like what are the actual risks, and he said the same thing like you can't, it's going to take three four months to heal. If it gets wet, it'll get infected, and you'll lose your hearing, and I said. Well, okay. Beyond that, is there any risk? He said, as long, you know, basically when I was starting the diving portion, if I made it through straight through would have been right about the time that it was, it would have been semi-healed. So they had said that you'd have that risk there. Like there's a chance that when you dive, it's going to burst again. And, you know, obviously the more times it bursts, the more scarring you have, the horse it is. Okay. I, I accept the risk. <laughs> And like, okay, thanks for the info and go out. So I I made this plan that I was going to get like a small part of earplugs and like put it way deep inside so no one could see it. I'm like, well, that'll that'll work for keeping water out of it. So then we got to go through the medical screening while we're there, right, in buds. And they're going to look at my ear and see that there's a hole in it. And at least I'm there. So I come up with a plan that when they do... Like they go to do that screening. I'm going to like make a big fuss, like pretend to pass out, fall over, knock stuff over. So I haven't looked at my left ear and then I kind of pretend like I got dizzy and fell over or knocked some, knocked some, you know, big thing over. And then I gave my left ear again. So they never looked at my right ear. They just looked at my left ear twice and went into training. First day of training, I have the little ear plug in. And all it did was get sandy and wet and trap more water in my ear. So I just, I was like, after that first day, I'm like, well, earplugs aren't going to work. Just hope it doesn't get infected. And went through training. And I just had an earache the whole time for the first you know, two or three weeks. My ear hurt. And I, every night I would just pour alcohol in it to try and make sure it didn't get infected. And eventually it healed. Uh, I was able to go through training. No one ever knew. I end up having bad ringing in my ear based on the scarring, but that could be from way too many explosives as well. But you know, that's that story of all I would have had to do is accept what they said. Like you can't go gotten delayed. And there's a good chance that that would have ended my journey right then and there. Mm. So that, yeah, that was my Man, that is- first weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <of four months.
0: laughs> Just warming up. Just a little little warmer. It's um, I mean, that actually that's a great point. How often, I mean, the majority, that's what separates you guys from you from the majority of humanity is most people accept what the authority says, and you're like, okay, but why and what's the risk? I mean, just those questions alone. How many people are asking people, well, why? What's the risk? And then same. All right, that's a risk I'm willing to take.
1: Yeah, I accept this. I, I accept, accept this, this
0: risk. risk. Yeah. The
1: doctor. I remember the doctor in Dallas looking at me like I was crazy. He's like, <laughs> "Oh, okay, you're not my client. My not my patient." <laughs> and beyond that, like, beyond that, right? So, amazing, good point. I agree with you. Like, how many times do we just accept what people say? And that's part of what enables me to be a seal and others not to is. I don't accept anything. Anyone has to say is truth. You have to prove it. And then once you prove it, I'll accept it. If, if not, I'm going to, I'm going to prove what is true to me and act in that. So on, and it's a weird dichotomy on one side of it is this. If I make a commitment to hold a responsibility, I hold it every single time. Mm. Right. And that was the same thing with my seals. On the other side, if you have me, if you ask me to hold a responsibility that makes no sense, I will say no and not do it. Mm. And so there's this dichotomy of, of hating authority, like or question hating isn't the right word, questioning authority at every point, and having this unbelievable string of response need to hold responsibility. Right? It's this right. like it's a crazy black and white on both sides of it that would seem opposite. Right? Would seem right. that hate each other.
0: I remember you telling me one time that what makes SEALs different than other warriors in the military <laughs> is if uh, yeah, is if uh, a commander of, uh, of another branch would tell the group to go take the hill, and, and the SEALs would say, "Screw you! You go take that hill." If you you know you want it we're going to do it a different way. We're going to do it a different way. That's right. We're Whereas most
1: would just run into the, you know, run and and it's important that like th- this is an important point, right? Usually the, the difference between Marines and SEALs, right? Marines are, they have a really hard mission. Their primary mission is take enemy held beaches. They need to have discipline above all else, right? Listening to authority above all else, concern for themselves at zero. So that when, because when you take an enemy health beach, the first two or three waves are just going to die. Like mm-hmm. we know that, like there isn't, it isn't like, anyone thinks that the first two waves are going to make it and win. And so the third wave has to keep going despite the first two waves lying dead on the beach. Right. And so when they are, when they're asked to go take the pillbox and the first guy gets shot and then the next guy like go take that pillbox, he has to run and say, you know, go do it. SEALs don't have that mission, right? Our mission is to, you know, that mission is not about innovation, is not about, um, freedom of thought that mission is just throw a bunch of meat at a problem. And eventually you win. Mm. There's no other way to win that. Our missions are not like that. Our missions are the missions that everyone else said was impossible. Mm. And if everyone else says they're impossible, we have to approach it in a way that no one else thought of. And so you want guys to question what you ask them to do every time. And when they finally identify what makes sense to them, they will do it no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that light switch of, no, I'm not going to do something that makes no sense. If it makes sense, I will make sure it's absolutely done. Amazing.
0: It's such an amazing journey that you're on because, you know, and we'll get into what you're doing now. I I referenced you, I've, I've shared your story many times in talks um, because you, First of all, I love you, and you know I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for you. I know, I know. Um, But there was – when I was in San Antonio as a reporter down there, I would go – Back then I was really into Christian ministry preaching and, and in that world. So I would go minister to the homeless by myself. And I remember the homeless people being like, What church are you with? I'm like, I'm not with the church, I'm just here by myself. And they're like, Okay. Church and I, of went, Mac. <laughs> I was like, here I am, baby. You yeah. heard of it? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And uh it was I started bringing brand new undershirts down there, brand new t-shirts, because I'm like, these people are always giving you stuff. I want to give them something new. But in order for, and they would always try to grab it. And I was like, I'm not giving you anything until you talk to me. And that's where I would have these beautiful conversations. Well, I built a relationship with this guy named Martin, And he was hyper-intelligent. He was a very smart man. He was a veteran. And he, he was a tank. What he told me, I don't know. But he said he was a tank commander in Desert yep. Storm. And I said, Well, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm not going to get a minimum wage job. He's like, I've been leader of men, I've been commander of tanks. And I thought, Boy, that's fascinating. Like, here you are, homeless, sitting on the uh, sidewalk, just chilling because you don't want to get um, a minimum, what he perceived as lesser than what he was worth job. He ended up dying two weeks. Once we moved from San Antonio back to Seattle, he died two weeks later. And uh, a buddy of mine who I'd bring down to the homeless with me once in a while, he went to his funeral and, um, and I use him and you as like contrast stories because both military, both, both intelligent, both, you know, on paper, learn the discipline of the military, but you, and I want to get into your story of like being a child because this is why it's so interesting. I think everyone has this, but they don't access this story. Not to the degree you do, but you have always had a purpose of protecting and, and helping those who couldn't help themselves or sticking up for those because you were bullied. And your purpose has continued to do what you're doing now, still helping people heal and, and protect themselves where that man who was, sweet guy but he didn't have a purpose greater than what he was doing in the moment and he ended up dying on a sidewalk and you're still helping people and so i've shared that story often of like purpose is so important it actually keeps us alive it keeps us going it keeps us moving forward so can you share because how tall you're are you six four
1: so uh over six two you're big well, i mean you, you look know, like <laughs> so i used to be six three and then it made me about a half inch shorter so i can't uh, quite say six three anymore okay I mean, yeah. they, did, they did give me metal so at least part of my back stronger <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right stronger shorter but stronger that that's good that's a good exchange so you i i i explained that you look like gi joe i mean you look like what you we want our warriors to look like but you weren't always that way share share your growing up and
1: even before that cuz what as i was hearing you talk about the story and those distinctions purpose is purpose is just one piece of it hmm. right without purpose we we have no no ability to move forward well we can continue to move forward without purpose a big mistake that people make is giving the world the power to give them their purpose. Yes.
0: Yes. So yes.
1: how do people do that? Yes. The, one of the biggest ways they do that is by being reaction reactive to their world. Right. So as soon as I react to my world, I'm no lo- I no longer have a purpose driving me. The world's dictating it. The other one, and this is one that's showing up more in the, the work we've been doing with people is comparison, Mm. right? As soon as I'm in comparison, I'm giving the power of purpose to the the person thing or tool that is enabling me to compare to someone, Mm. right? So as soon as I start using comparison as a means to direct anything in my life, I give up my purpose. I give up my purpose. I can't feel fulfillment, Mm. right? And if I react to my world, I give up my purpose and I can't feel fulfillment regardless of if I'm moving forward and that's an important thing without purpose I can't feel fulfilled that's why you have people like I have a client that has a billion dollars right literally a billionaire he he's at a point now when I ask him why are you still working well because it, it's now a game like can I make more than anyone else mm. guess what he has a billion dollars and feels no fulfillment in what he's doing the reason being is even someone at that level has given up their purpose to comparison and so the first thing we talk about is purpose right so without purpose i can't feel fulfillment but in this story that's only half of it the other half of it is what is your purpose right so this guy his purpose was internal like yeah. for himself
0: right yeah
1: and and For me, my purpose has always been external, not for myself. And so the word I use for that is honor. Hmm. Honor to me is living to a code of behavior, right? You can't have honorable actions without a code of behavior. So that's the foundation. But the the second part, the most important part is it's a code of behavior based on the good of the group before the good of the self. Hmm. And so every honorable activity, you are more concerned with someone outside or a group outside of yourself and dishonorable behaviors, stealing, murder, um, cheating, lying. Those are all where I'm doing things for my benefit at the harm of another, right? That's a dishonorable stuff. So the foundation of honor is the good of the group or the good of the self. The benefit of living an honorable life is you have infinite power right when you act for the good of someone else you have endless power at any point you can be the lowest most tired you've ever been and as soon as you direct your attention to helping someone else you have more power Hmm. you have infinite energy to me that's god's energy right like because what what is that higher energy for but to bring light love connection into the world so when you act in accordance with that you have access to it right and that's that's why honorable you know, the medal of honor, people that do the things that require that they do superhuman things. Why? Because I believe they're connected directly to God's energy. Mm. And so this guy was not right. Right. I'm more concerned what people think about me because I was important. Therefore, I won't take actions even to help someone else that I think are below me. He's worried about himself. That's dishonorable. He has no power, no access to power. And he has no purpose because he's worried about what someone thinks about him. Therefore he can't feel fulfillment. He was doomed to die with that type of living. Like it's just, that's, that is death.
0: And he truly did. I mean, that's not, you could say though, there's the principles like you're doomed to die and, you know, just knowing part of his story and he ended up doing just that. And yet, and this is so good because it's not, yeah, it's not just purpose. It's, you have always been a. this is how I describe you is you've you've always tried to protect those who cannot protect themselves. You just happen to do that. Your goal was to do that as a seal, but once that career ended, you never stopped doing that. You no, just were like, okay, how do I do that in the next capacity?
1: Yeah, and, and it was to it was not for my own benefit, right? Right. And therefore it's honorable, which gave me a strong purpose, which has enabled me to get through what many would consider our impossible situations, right, for, for a long time. And no matter how tired or exhausted or I didn't want to do it anymore, the fact that I was focused on helping someone else, I always got a little more energy to get through because it's not my energy, right? It's not coming from me. It's coming from somewhere else. Right.
0: Well, in that, let's talk about your physical stature growing up because that's why I asked how you're yeah. big, you're big, you look like Duke from GI as my childhood, you know, like you're only a
1: hero, he didn't have awesome hair, <laughs> yeah, it's it more snake eyes hair, but Duke, uh, Duke <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. that's right. Oh man, so but growing up, you're small, and yeah, describe tiny. like what that was like and when you started getting bigger.
1: So I was this is, you know, with the work that, the work that I've done and the kind of mind expansion that I've had, I've I've actually been thinking about this a a lot recently because I'll look at myself in a mirror and it's not the way that I was, I was right. I was not like this. I was in high school, five foot two, 107 pounds freshman year. You know, I didn't, I didn't Gain any height until my senior year. And even then, I still graduated like 155 and 6'3, right? Like super skinny. Wow. And I was, so I was never, I was never, no one would have looked at me and said, that's going to be a Navy SEAL, right? Mm. And I look at myself now in that same thing. I mean, I'm 44 now, right? And I'm in, and I've had 14 surgeries to get put back together again. And I'm still in better shape than almost any 43 44 year old i, I look at yeah and and as I, I it's hard to for me it was really hard to comprehend that and what I've, what i've been it's it's the weird a really weird like kind of mind expansion mm-hmm. stuff is that when i look at him like i what's the right word manifested this or or sourced mm-hmm. like i look like this because i needed to like Hmm. or put such intent in doing something and this was the body that was required to do that thing as opposed to growing I, it's
0: yeah that's i don't know I, mean, I, I know what you're trying to
1: say deep, right
0: fascinating yes yeah, it's
1: weird so i'm like shit i look like this because <laughs> like chills i yeah. choose to look like this because i needed to for what i wanted to embody it's I, I, you're one of the few people. Like I've never said this before because I think you're one yeah. of the few people that could follow what I'm saying. It's
0: giving me chills. It gives me chills. It's it's in a vi- so this is interesting too, dude. This is so good. I love you. This is so fun. <laughs> so you in non-victim man. Yeah, I would say manifested the body. You you're yeah. You created your body from your desire. Um in a non-victim sense, but it's no different than the sexually abused person who yep. puts on a lot of weight. They're Yeah, to not be attractive. To not same. be attractive. It's, but isn't that is so interesting. Yeah, because
1: when you look at my, my dad's five foot nine. And I mean, he's not a, a strong person. Like he was always not weak, but he wasn't really strong. My mom is very thin, 5'10", mm. very thin. You know, my dad's whole side of the family is they're under five, five, like they're all five, 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 six. My grandfather's small. The only one that had any sort of size was my mom's father. My grandfather was, was tall, but he was not strong in any way, shape or form. And so that's where I, that's where I look at it. Like, it doesn't make sense that I would look like this or turn out like this. And that's where I got to you know, especially as you kind of open your mind to the different things of like, yeah, I just, I created this because it was needed.
0: This, that is cool. That is, I want to off off podcast, talk more about this. Cause this is, um, I've been having something with, with me physically shift. Um, I think usually it's not, it's not the intentional thought. It's like an underlying, it's like the default, like it's like day or night. Right. It's this is what you just, you don't think about, Oh, it's daytime today. No, it's just a day we're operating right now during day. It's almost like that level of knowing it's, a, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So that's Dude, been a I weird,
0: that. that's cool. Yeah.
1: It's a, been a weird realization as I've, I've just played around with that thinking Wow. for a while and we are just energy right, right. everyone agrees right. with that right yeah. so that's not yeah. that is we're not like some new age fizzy, fuzzy thinking right. like we are energy so why wouldn't we be able to m- make energy show up in certain ways with enough focus and attention Because we're just a focus of energy to be in this format right it's a right. concentration of energy into this form right i don't know it's it's a bit beyond my scientific expertise, but
0: it's really cool, though. It really is a it's beautiful. So you you manifested this body when and share it with everyone. When did you know you wanted to be a seal? Because it was earlier on, right?
1: It's about seventh grade. Yeah. yeah, so I third grade I saw Top Gun. In the theater, I remember, clear as day, with my parents, my sister, and my aunt and uncle. And I remember leaving that theater saying, I'm going to be a fighter pilot Hmm. from the Navy, right? Like, that was it. And so from third grade on, uh, all I wanted to do was be a fighter pilot, test pilot, astronaut, you know, from the go to the Naval Academy, I knew I wanted to go to Naval Academy in third grade like that. And that's it. I started working towards it. And then about seventh or eighth grade, it would have been around 1981 or 84 or no, it was 90 something, 90 something. A movie called Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen came out. Yeah. And I, we didn't, I didn't see the movie. I would have been too young to see the movie, but for my birthday in June, my friend got me a sweatshirt from the movie that said Navy seals on it. Mm-hmm. And he got it simply because it was a cool logo because we were both too young to see it. It was Navy and it had a cool logo. So we got it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what Navy seals were because in the, what would have been the late eighties, early nineties, no one knew. I mean, even in the, when I was first out of the seals in the late, 90s most people didn't know what a seal was when i was going through buds you know you'd be it's like 50 50 if they have any clue right and so i went to the library and found the book called the men with green faces which was a vietnam era seal book so it's a book based on facts but it was fiction and i read the book and decided that i needed to be a navy seal and the fighter pilots were pansies and <laughs>
0: yet
1: yeah, it was a huge leap because up until that point, I was not in my mind or anyone else's vision, Navy SEAL material. I was not gifted at. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Pittsburgh in the city. And I was not, I was picked on bullied pretty badly to about fifth grade. And then it started again in high school. And I was unpopular because I'm not a normal person. Uh, You know, I've, I've been abnormal way of thinking and interacting with people which doesn't fit well in a little school and in Pittsburgh if you didn't play baseball and football and basketball you're a dork and i did not i was never any good at anything with a ball or a team i was the only kid to get cut from the 3rd or 4th grade basketball team like no one gets cut from that except for me so <laughs> i was that bad and so if that com- that combined, like I never saw myself as athletic, I wasn't by what you would see on the stuff. I was good at odd things like water skiing and snow skiing, mm. but back then, like today, I would have been a cool kid because I'd have been doing X game stuff. But back then, no one no one cared, right. and so that that concept of be a Navy SEAL, I didn't tell anyone. Mm. I wouldn't. It would have been embarrassing. I didn't tell my Parent, my dad, until I was a senior in high school, and I'd already gotten into the Naval Academy in West Point. I had to make a decision between Army or Navy. And at that point, I had glasses, so the 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 dream of being a pilot, my my dad knew I couldn't do. So going to the Navy, if I wasn't going to be a pilot, didn't make any sense. And so I I had to tell him, well, I want to I want to try to be a Navy SEAL. Wow, and he's like, well. I think nuclear submarines are more your, you know, probably better <laughs> for you. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah, I remember that discussion. Because it was true. Like even as a senior in high school, I was no one would have, you know, I wasn't I didn't excel at any of the sports. I was the worst at all the sports I was in, I was no good, I was the bad at, right? I was never any good at. Hmm. Or I didn't excel at any of them. So yeah.
0: Which also. Shows what a over focused or oh, yeah, too much like sports are so. I can't stay. We have been pushed down this path of that, that sports are a virtue more than they should be. It's not that they're bad or good, it's just,
1: I think they're two I think. They're a tool. The difference is that, like, I look at them as a tool for development. Most parents look at them as a life, like lifestyle, like Right, right. It is a a way of being. And that's where I think we go into trouble. Because then there, or no, as an identity. That's the best, most accurate way to say it, right? It's an identity. You're a football player. You're a baseball player. Right. To me, it's a a tool. I was impressed because I was working an event in georgia at a company and i know the owner well so staying with him and his son had football practice and his son's 12 10 or something i mean he's pretty young and i'm and he's like you can stay here come on I'm like i want i've never seen a 10 year old football practice so i went and i was absolutely amazed they had it's a really competitive you know south southern you know super competitive right environment they had six-year-olds in full pads practicing for an hour and they were really good because you know six-year-old can't pay attention for 10 seconds right so they would every like two minutes they're doing something different and the kids practiced for an hour and 20 minutes in the heat in pads at six years old and All the way up, right? Up to the bigger kid, all the way up to their kids. And what I realized was how soft we are on our boys. Mm. Like we're really soft on them. And I'm not saying that as a judgment. I'm just saying that as fact. Like yeah, Yeah. they, like, I don't want to pick up my Legos. Mm. Oh, you can't. I'm tired. I don't want to do that. Here's a kid doing an hour and a half of practice. In the heat and right. was able to do it. And the kid was not being the kids weren't being tortured, right? Like they were having fun and they were doing their stuff and it was hard and they were doing it. And I realized they kids do that for that long. The amount of self-regulation they build up is going to serve them for a long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's there's a there's a there's a lot of gold there if managed correctly, right? Now that can go off the rails 50 different ways, which is okay. where parenting comes in. Right. Careful, thoughtful parenting comes in. You could leverage that opportunity to be a a goldmine for a kid moving forward. Most parents don't have the attention span, the intention, the um, focus necessary to leverage that opportunity at the highest because they. It takes a lot of effort to do that and some knowledge, but the opportunity is there.
0: That's that's a great point. So, a couple of things that, and I want to get into, we will get into what you're doing now, but I've I've referenced a lot ALA. I've referenced you calling me that night about ALA. And my first thought was like, what is this, a cult? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what what do you sell Even though I had done, the irony is that I was in therapy once a week, every sometimes twice a week for two years and still not wanting to live, you know? And, you call me that night for you going into any sort of emotional intelligence training and leadership training thing. How, what was Brooks the one that in, invited you? What was your, where were you in the like mental space at that time? And then what was the change for you after going through that program?
1: I was at uh, I was at the I'd say the second the second lowest I've ever been Uh, there. The when the surgeon, you know, destroyed my back and said my seal career is over and then getting sent back to San Diego and having my team be gone and everyone be gone. I was just alone in a house, Mm. you know, hurting and trying to recover for what, for no purpose, that was the lowest I've ever been for sure. Mm. And, and dealing with overprescription of drugs and dealing with withdrawal, withdrawal and dealing with them prescribing all sorts of things that were not good for me. Right. right? It, that was the, by far the worst. Uh, this was pretty, you know, close to about the second, his second low point, lowest point of my life. Mm. And it was, um, it was due to the fact that for at this point this would have been 5 years ago about uh, 4 yep, or 5 yep uh i had been so it's 2001 say let's like 2017 thereabouts right yep yep, yep. Mm-hmm. so i've been out for almost 10 years right 9 years of being out and um i had 9 years of dealing with pretty bad Post-traumatic stress, pretty bad depression, right. um, and nothing that I tried worked. Right, and I was not—I'm not one to just sit there and suffer. Like, well, I am one to just sit there and suffer, but I mean, <laughs> not to just be like, "Oh, my life sucks. I can't do anything about right. it." Right. So I try—I do anything I could find to try and help me in this. I mean, counseling and and therapists and and nothing helped. And I tried working my way out of it, just like maybe if I work enough and create enough, it's going to make a difference. And it didn't, right? It didn't, nothing got better. I was getting more and more unhealthy. I was, I was doing more and more unhealthy things, right? Like I've never, I don't have an addictive personality. If I did, I'd be dead based on what the, the Navy gave me on drugs. And but I mean, I was drinking every night, right? And I was drinking solely to, to escape from the pain I was in. Like, I, I remember, like, I'm choosing this. Like, I'm going, I'm drinking out of the bottle of like hot vodka at 10 o'clock at night by myself just because I want to feel better, right? I want to escape from the way I felt. Yeah. And and my, my emotional disconnection was so great that, and I my was, my nervous system was so amped to we're going to die. Like, yeah. So it was a combination of complete emotional disconnection and nervous system tuned to the red line all the time in the, my boys wouldn't couldn't sit in my lap because it was, it, they could sense that something's wrong. Mm. Uh, my connection with Anne was just, there was hardly any, my, Ann's my wife, um, business we no matter what successes we had we would be six weeks from being broke right we would produce 150,000 in sales with six weeks from being broke right It we produced 40 in sales and we're six weeks from being broke like it didn't make a difference just miserable like in every sense of the word and uh Brooks who I know from I met him my first day at the Naval Academy when we were in buds together we've known each other forever you know was doing this program in San Diego and called me up on his birthday and he was right in the middle of it. And on that phone call, I remember Ann and I were going to some, like going to dinner, like a lunch together just to kind of get away. And we were both, you know, miserable as usual. And he sounded so different. Like I could tell hearing his voice that something was different. And all he said is this is going to make you have to do this. It's going to help. And I said, okay, I'm in. Like, I didn't, I didn't even ask him what, like, okay, <laughs> like you have to yeah. do this. I mean, I look at Anne, she, she says, she's kind of nodded yes. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. You know, sign me up where I have to go. And I went, when I showed up, I thought it was a business group. And there's all these like weirdos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like not people that would be in a business, right. you know, business training. And right. I'm like, right the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> and I remember walking in and this was the turning point for me. I walked into the room and they have all the chairs set up and the stage in the front. Mm-hmm. And I go like immediately go to turn to the back corner of the room where I could be safe and sit there and look mean. So no one comes near me. And I was like, wait a minute. I remember having this distinct thought. Doing that's what got me in here and I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. So that's just going to get me more of the same. And so that's where I said, okay, what don't I want to do? What wouldn't I do? Well, I wouldn't sit in the front row and I wouldn't talk to the person next to me. So I go to the front row and sit next to a gay, obviously gay person, which I've never had any issues with with homosexuality at all. Like it's not an issue for me, but I definitely wouldn't have sat next to that person and started talking to him. Right. I wouldn't talk to anyone, mm-hmm. you know, they would have to talk to me and I'd be so scary. No one ever talks to me. So it's really good self-defense mechanism. <laughs> so I'm like I sit in the front where I sit next to the person I probably wouldn't sit next to normally. And I start talking to them. I'm like, if they ask for a volunteer, I'm going to raise my hand. Anytime I don't want to do something, I'm going to do it immediately. Mm-hmm. And that was the turning point.
0: You know, it's interesting. You share that you, I almost started. I got choked up when you said that, that you remember that distinct thought because you told me that going into that. And that's what, I mean, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Changed everything. Changed everything. Because I, I'm always the class clown. I would hijack any authority figure and take over. And, uh, I've been kicked out of more classes than, you know, <laughs> probably attended and uh, <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff because I didn't want to get hurt. And so I was defense mechanism and you, and when you called me, you sounded different the night you called me. And I'll never forget. Cause I'm laying on the couch. Lauren's out of town at a, she might've been at Celine Dion concert or something like that. I have three kids at home. I hate my life. I mean, I don't hate my life, but I hate me in my life. I, I
1: hate I, the, I hate the experience of my life.
0: Yes. That's, that's it. I, I mean, I loved. I didn't actually even know how to access love. Right. I, and, I knew the concepts I could talk about all these things, but yeah, I hated the experience that I was in. And um, you called me and you sounded different. I'm like, what? and we talked for a long time that yeah. day. we're both crying. And, and still though, that's what I joke around. Still. My default is like, what is this a cult? But I trust you with my life obviously. And with my wife and my children. And so I went and I remember you telling me because I was my default sit in the back, don't talk. You know, same thing, only be a class clown as opposed to intimidate the person. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I did it. I because I wasn't gonna come home if it didn't change. I I was just done. Yeah. I'd done religion. I had done therapy i had done all the good things that you're supposed to do i'd done all these things and still was left with myself and, and hating myself and but i did it and i've never been more proud of myself than raising uh, my hand he's like anyone want to speak and i'm like i never and i did it and i kept doing it and i kept doing it so that piece of advice and it's so simple and so profound if you do what well, you've always done you'll get what you've always gotten well
1: Hello. another way to say that is if you're unhappy with the experience of your life right now, what you're doing is producing it. Yes. Have to do something different. Yes. Like, and it's, it is in the actions that change the environment. And mm. there's also, uh, this is a role that I've learned. That's a really important one is that we can make anything true in our life. Mm. Anything we want, we can make true in our life. And as, and my truth and your truth can be completely opposing and they can exist at the same time. Right. Right. So my truth is mine and it, it doesn't matter what anyone else. So I can't even look at you and say, well, that's not true because right. it's true for you. So my truth is whatever I say it is. And then I act in alignment with that truth. I'm going to produce it. So it, it will become true in my environment. Right. Okay, we got that. That's fine. If that is not in alignment with, with what is true, right? So my truth and what is true are two different things. Right. If if it isn't, if those aren't in alignment, the universe is going to punish me. It's going to hurt. Yeah. Right. So when when your life is not where you want it, if you're not enjoying the experience of your life. You're holding something to be true that is not in alignment with the greater truth. That's it. And, yes. and you're acting in alignment with that. And you're being, I like to say, being punished. Mm. The universe is making it hard on you. When you act in alignment with universal truth, when yeah. my truth is aligned with universal truth, and I take actions like that, I'm going to produce it. And the environment's going to help me. It's going to yes. feel good. Yes. And so I, I've been interesting uh, or excited to share this with you because this has been a humongous step forward. Because that's all great. Like uh, there's some really important lessons there, right? The actions I take are going to be in alignment with my truth, and in t- taking my actions aligned with my truth, I will create it. Mm. Like it will become true. So what comes first, the truth or the expression of the truth in the world, the truth, I hold the truth, I take actions, I create it, right? So that alone is worth listening to this podcast, like that's huge. Right. But when we say, well, if I'm experiencing pain, discomfort, dissatisfaction, we now know why, well, I'm acting in with a truth that is not true. Mm. And might the universe punish me? So then the question comes, well, well, then what's universal truth? Because if I knew that, I could start looking at where I'm holding untruths, acting in untruth, and suffering. Mm. And I think I cracked this. I think I figured it out. Okay, so this is it. big. You ready?
0: I'm ready. I'm like, let's go. Let's go.
1: So we have we have our higher self or a higher consciousness, our our conscious and our subconscious. Mm. I look at our, our higher consciousness as our connection to God or universe or power outside of us. I don't care what you say. It makes no difference to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just use God because I think it's easier. Yep. Right. But use universe. I don't give a, because you. you know me, my journey back to God has been just this last year. Yep. Like I had no relationship at all. Right. After 12 years of Catholic yeah. school. So so for me to say it is like big for me. That's what I like, but universe God doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. So you have the higher self, you have the conscious, you have the lower self or the subconscious. The first thing you have to identify is what is the purpose of those three things? Because when we identify the purpose of the conscious, the purpose of the, the subconscious and the purpose of the higher conscious, now we can start identifying what how to align them. Mm-hmm. So The purpose of the subconscious is to keep you safe. That's it, right? Our subconscious's job is just to keep us safe. Hmm. The purpose of the conscious is to have us feel joy and fulfillment, Hmm. right? Because our conscious is all about making choices based on the obligations that we perceive. And we always choose in alignment with obligations that are going to bring us joy and fulfillment and keep us away from pain and suffering. Right. Right. Our conscious. Now, our subconscious job only to be safe. Our subconscious is stronger and smarter than our conscious. So oftentimes our subconscious in the effort to be safe will have us making choices that bring suffering into the world. Hmm. Right. That's we see that all the time. So subconscious is safety. Conscious is joy and fulfillment. What's the purpose of the higher conscious? For me, that higher conscious is our connection to God or universe. Mm-hmm. The only purpose of that is to bring light and love into the world. Yes. Specifically through connection. Right? So what is light and love is connection. Yes. Mutually beneficial connection with other people. Right. So if we look at and what is God's energy or the point of the universe, but to be connected to other people beneficially, both sides. Yes. So from that point, right? Point of the purpose of the higher conscious to bring light, love through connection into the world. The purpose of the conscious is to bring joy and fulfillment to me. And the purpose of the subconscious to keep me safe. Do you agree with this? Do you see any holes in it? Yes.
0: There? No. Okay. Yes, I agree no i don't see holes and i would use for me i would use a different language set but it's 100% in alignment
1: so then what is truth right hmm. the universal truth is anything that brings light and love through connection into the world has me feel joy and fulfillment yes. and feel safe
0: and i would change the truth. word safe because safe to do what safe to actually live so we are it keeps us safe so that we can stay alive. So then I would not use that word safe because that is from an anti threat versus pro. Our so, subconscious keeps us alive.
1: So the reason I say safe is uh, I, we can say to keep us alive so we can procreate, but ultimately, subconscious works on feelings, not actual. Hmm. Right? It doesn't, if it did, it would, that's our conscious works on actual facts. Right, Our subconscious will often kill us so that we feel safe, right? My subconscious was killing me because I was drinking myself to death because it allowed me to feel safe because I didn't have to feel suffering.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: My subconscious was killing me, my relationship. My subconscious was killing everything because it's only tools for safety was emotional self, so emotional divorce from any emotion, Mm -hmm. don't feel anything and suffer. So our, unfortunately, our subconscious is stupid is not to keep us alive. It's to keep us feeling safe. That's where our subconscious fucks us over and over again, because our traumas will inform the subconscious how to keep us safe. And therefore, most of the time, our subconscious trying to kill us (laughs) or at least have us suffer. So
0: Good. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's why I say safe, because I really do think it's. Feel safe. It isn't be alive. If that was the case, we'd all be happy. We just lived our live with our subconscious. But it is isn't the case, right? Now I can start saying, okay, if if let's tie these two concepts together. If I am unhappy with my life, my experience of life. Let's be I'll be very precise, right? I'm unhappy with my experience of life right now. That means that I'm holding something as true and taking actions in alignment with an untruth. And the universe is punishing me, or I suffer. So, well, how do I what do I do with that? Well, I start asking myself is this action, is drinking vodka alone at night so that I can escape from feeling? Is that going to keep me safe? No. Is that going to bring joy and fulfillment into my life? No. Is that going to enable me to bring light and love through connection into the world? No. I should not be drinking vodka alone at night to escape from my feelings. Mm. That is an untrue. Is, is having a podcast with Lucas sharing earth changing concepts in ways that people can apply. Is that true? Well, is that going to make me feel safe? Yeah. Every time I'm around you, cause I know you'll have <laughs> anything that gets in trouble. Right. Got it. Right. I'm, I feel safe talking to you about this stuff. Right. Yeah. Do I feel joy? Is it bringing joy and fulfillment into me? Yeah, because I did hard work to get this and be able to share with you and other people. Yes, mm-hmm. joy and fulfillment. Am I bringing light and love through connection with you and hopefully other people that hear it? Yes, this is true. true. I should be doing this. I shouldn't yeah. be drinking mud. Gives me chills. Like it gives me it, chills. It's just it gives me chills. Yeah, it's just the formula, and it's the Trinity.
0: Yeah, yeah it the is Holy Trinity. Yep. That is so good. I think so. And what is, you know, the questioning. And I do not, I'm not deviating us. I want to stay on this, but you grew up with the Socratic method and you had a father. You, right. t- you learned the questioning. Then this movement of Q came into the consciousness and the political arena. This And all Q was doing was qu- asking questions. And that's when things started to arise and questioning is our basic human right, perhaps, or it's our,
1: it's our basic human ability to navigate our environment.
0: Yes.
1: Right. Like it it is our, it's our only tool to navigate our environment. Yes. Right. Think of, think of your three-year-old, right. They are a big question. Oh, yeah. They're, Why? They're learning Why? to navigate Why? their environment.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, what is this? What's it do? What's, right. what's going to happen if I put it in the garbage disposal? Right. I don't know. Let's see, right? Okay. So
0: <laughs> I love that you would say that. Yeah, let's find that's out. Let's <laughs> see.
1: Let's blow this shit up. We got it. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested. Oh, in that's it so out too. Good. Yeah. Is it mine? Oh, nope. That's, okay, right. <laughs> that's right.
0: Oh, that's so good. Yeah. What is this? Why? Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. Why?
1: So, and if we go back to the original thing that we're talking about with purpose, right? When, when you're reactive to the world, you lose your purpose. If you, you give the world the, the ability to dictate your purpose, you can't feel fulfillment. When we start to question, we're being proactive in the world. Mm. When we're proactive in the world, we can identify what our purpose is to live in this universal truth and we can feel fulfillment
0: so good oh brother i uh, thank you for i mean i'm not done with talking, but i just thank you for doing the work because i am here today because you chose to do the work and just having this thought this deep i love you so much just to think that deeply
1: well i articulate
0: I, I, it so clearly but i know it, it's done a lot of it's work not easier.
1: easy right oh, like right. that didn't that's not like i read that somewhere. There's nowhere you can read that there. uh, There's nowhere to find that. And it isn't mine. Like I didn't, this is not my knowledge. I just, I feel like a archeologist. My job is to dig and test and dig and test and dig and question and dig and test until I find fundamental truths. And those fundamental truths are from God or from universe. I mean, they're not mine
0: and truth makes us free. And so that freedom, that liberated soul that we
1: You're not just in what we shared around purpose fulfillment about um, being the connection of our truth, the truth we hold, our actions, and how the universe responds positive or negative negatively to that. Our higher conscious, subconscious, and subconscious those, those only give you a framework to ask questions and be proactive in changing your life. Like at this point, like, and this is a double edged sword. So, anyone that's sitting there that is dissatisfied with their experience of life right now you're now choosing that like you have no other excuses like because you can't say well i don't know what to do well yes now we do know look at an action and ask is this going to have me feel safe is this going to have me feel joy and fulfillment is this going to bring light and love through connection into the world if the answer is no to any one of those three don't fucking do it do something (laughs) else Oh, like you're no okay. longer stuck on the side of the road to die homeless. Like right. unless you choose to, and I'm okay. If you choose that, like that's the other thing I've found, like it's yeah. not my job to save everyone. Right. Some people want, aren't ready and want to be where they are and miserable. Right. Just don't say it's not your fault around me. Like I can't take that. Right. It's not your choice around me. Right? Cause uh, it's your choice. Now you have the, you have enough information to change it. And if you can't ask for, I was about to swear again, ask for help. Like, yeah, the only way that we can do anything in this world is through coordination of action with others, right? And so, ask for help.
0: Hmm. I want to, I do want to get this in. I was like, do I get this in? I do want to get this in because it's been a part of your story, it's a massive part of my story, and it's because of you, I have entered into this I share with people all the time fact, I call the other day someone said he looked at me and he said, plant medicine goes, oh, it's a massive part of my healing journey I mean massive and and uh, I said I had never even had cannabis before <laughs> I sat in Ayahuasca. I mean I had just alcohol was my my game and uh, it has been. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to overemphasize it that it's the answer for everyone, but it's been part of this journey as part, like the emotional intelligence program and, and plant medicine. And, and what was your, cause I know you were coming at it from PTSD, um,
1: PTSD and depression, and depression. So I ended up with chronic depression because I was over prescribed, um, antidepressants and anti-seizure drugs to mitigate neurological pain due to what they did to me in the hospital. So I've never had depression in any way, shape or form in my life. They, they prescribed for two years, two antidepressants and an seizure drug, not for depression or for seizures, but to mitigate intense neurological pain from the injury. And when I, because of the count, the effects of those drugs, I, I weaned myself off. And then they do permanent damage to your, your brain and your neurons and resulted in chronic depression. So I'm dealing with post post-traum- significant post-traumatic stress and chronic depression uh, was a, wow. that was my jam. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> like it, but right. I was stuck in it.
0: Right. And then you fat, and then again, you're with Brooks and yep. you're, 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 soul liberation brother in this journey. Yep. And
1: yeah if i i had done so prior to if this being known by anyone was uh i was doing i as you could imagine i don't know if people can imagine or not because I, I speak very complex things into very very elegant digestible digestible pieces yeah i get that because i do some deep ass research like i read you know within this when i was we going down the post-traumatic stress route and it wasn't working. I started going into to scientific journals to research post-traumatic stress and what they were doing. And I saw in a, a scientific journal, this would have been like six years ago, quite a long time, maybe seven. It was a while ago. They were just starting to test the use of, of psychedelics and, and pathogens to, to impact post-traumatic stress. And then that led me to research it a lot. And also get to the point of, well, I'm never going to have access to it because I would have to go to Puerto Rico or Costa Rica or Mexico. And yeah, Peru. that was not going to yeah. my future for a long time. So I kind of just gave up on the hope of, of being able to leverage that until uh, I was in Florida four years, three years ago. So I'm like, yeah, I've been about three years ago now. And you know, really by the I don't know, God or universe, right? Like got, you know, ran, ran across someone that had access to, to people that did this work and then got into that work. And so I did for a year, it was almost exactly one year. uh, I did really intense work because when I do something, I go into it full speed and in that experience, many, if not all, of the different varietals and, and treatment methods. Uh, anyone interested in doing this, the, the thing that I say is uh, there's there's four things that you gotta pay attention to, uh, and these are critically important. And if you don't have a lot of information and pick this right, you, you're, you could cause yourself more damage than good. The first is dosing, making sure that the dosing is done well. And you know, pour until you say stop is not done well, right? right? The same amount for everyone is not done well. Right. And most places don't do it well. The second thing is the environment that you're doing it in. What type of environment are you doing it in? We're like, oh, it's a safe environment. Well, is that environment conducive to the the healing you need? That's right. It's not just safe. Yeah, right the next thing is the people that you're around when you're in these states you're open and their their subconscious is open as well and your subconscious can can latch on to their nervous system right all our nervous systems are at different levels so people talk about well i get an entity or i get some dark spirit what what's happening is your nervous system is tuning to the trauma of another's nervous system. Mm. And so you have to be really freaking careful who you're around. You don't need to talk to them, you're just next to them. If they're in the same room, our nervous systems are so sensitive when opened up that they can tune to any one of those. So you're rolling the dice as to, are you gonna walk out with Jerry's trauma? Like you don't know. And you won't know why, you'll just feel messed up. And the last thing is what process is being done in that space, Mm. right? you can, most of them are run where you get a medicine and it's a big dose in a loose environment with people you don't know. Yeah. And in that you're left to hope you're going to do well. Like it's literally like rolling the dice in Vegas. Like it, maybe it shows up seven, maybe it shows up snake eyes. You don't know. Mm. And within that there's an opportunity to, that you're going to get a lot But by the nature of the chemicals, they're hitting multiple neuroreceptors. So you want the neuroreceptor of openness of consciousness, but you're also hitting neuroceptors of visual, then the visual cortex and the emotional cortex. And so you end up having to weed through a a garden of stuff to try and find the carrot, right? Because there's a whole bunch of other stuff because we're not using clean we're not triggering one neuro we're triggering a bunch. Right. And so within that, it takes some skill to weed through that stuff and use it. The other issue is that it changes your consciousness so that you're going to have faded results over time. Like you're gonna come out crystal clear, my whole life changed, and then three weeks later, you're probably not gonna remember what that was, mm-hmm. unless you do some serious work to integrate. Yeah. And most people don't do that. Mm. So, my experience was life saving and life changing and it limited the growth was limited about a year mm. uh, after about a year the cost because every time i put a chemical in my body natural or man-made i have a neurological neurochemical and physical cost mm. and we don't like to we pretend like that's not true but there is and at a certain point the cost becomes greater than the game yeah. and that's where i got at about a year and yeah. I've moved we've we've progressed into what I think is a, a another level of of healing u- utilizing and secure and helping the the biome or the the bacteria in the stomach mm. that has been more sustainable and cleaner mm. It's also more expensive like it costs more yeah and yeah. so that investment has has been huge like so for me we still we still leverage that technology, the, the plant medicine stuff uh, in, but we, we leverage it in a very, very different way. Yeah. Most places I've seen, and I've seen a lot are relying on the medicine for the game. Yeah. Right. So yeah. take the person, give them a bunch of medicine and the medicine's going to guide you. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it'll be big, maybe it'll be small. Maybe yeah. you'll remember, maybe you won't. And that's a lot of maybes for me. Yep. And so what we're doing instead is leveraging proven processes of healing and leveraging the, the medicine just as a means to grease the skids. Mm-hmm. So like when we're doing trauma work with someone, one of the risks that we face is when you start to get near a trauma, the adrenal system triggers. Hmm. Right, just by the nature of having to talk about it, the adrenal system triggers it, turns off the neocortex. So, the thinking, remembering, planning part of my brain shuts off. Hmm. That's why therapy doesn't work with trauma. I end up re traumatizing the person. Yeah. So, when you're using the medicines, you can turn off the adrenal system. That's why a lot of people can find some healing. But if you're not guided through a process to deal with your trauma, you're again, rolling the dice that maybe I stumble upon it this time.
0: Right. Right.
1: What we're leveraging is just the process of dealing with a trauma and using just enough medicine to turn off the adrenal system. So they can't get triggered Good. or just turning on enough of the, of the, of the, what is opening a consciousness to rewrite a story Mm. and what we're seeing the effects that we're seeing of doing this type of work is it's one-time customers and that's one of the issues where i started to get worried was when i was at a year and i'm like i need to go every three weeks like when's the next time i'm going Mm. and i'm like that's not one and when the thought of stopping was like i don't want to stop like I, I need this. Yeah. Like that's not good. So our goal is to make it so it's one stop shop. Like you come once, you deal with you, you deal with the trauma once and for all, and you don't come back. Yeah. Right.
0: Hey, that, oh, so that's that, my journey. That is such an important thing, and I can't wait. And we're gonna give a, a free offer away to the seventh person that reaches out, and I'll we'll give give that information here in a moment. But. That is such an important distinction, what you just said, because I really going through it, being my first time with you and, and Annie, and yep. and um, and then having numerous other times by myself with groups or different things. It, I would not. I tell people you got to do emotional intelligence work before you go into that world, because like because yep. that gives you at least a framework of not being afraid in the unknown, and you can go through and navigate. But if you're just like yeah, if you're closing your eyes on a raft in the ocean and like, well, I hope I make it to the shore. Uh, yeah. You're not. I don't. I mean, I've
1: seen so shore. many. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen that that play over and over again. And what I end up seeing is people are stuck in a loop.
0: Yeah. You know, it's yeah. they're
1: stuck in the loop of of being. Oh, I feel great. I see all sorts of stuff. Now I'm back to normal. Now I don't feel good. I need to go feel better again. Mm. And then it's this, this same cycle and they're not actually progressing. And so, I'm so
0: I'm so, I'm so thankful for you. I yeah. love you so much, brother. I love you yeah. more than you will ever, ever know. And every so you have still, um, we'll talk about, I mean, I know you've had iterations, but now you're in still team leaders is your company yeah. and, Share what you're doing with SIL Team Leaders and then how, what you just shared, of tying that in, and then we'll get into giving that free offer away to the seventh person that reaches out.
1: So our core, we've, one of the best truths that I've uncovered uh, and the most powerful truth is that our success in life, both our experience of success and our ability to produce accomplishments is 100% dependent on our ability to coordinate action with others. Hmm. And that, that truth has been, is, is really life-changing, right? Anywhere you're in strife or conflict with, it's in the pocket. There's anytime you're in conflict with anyone, you're, you suffer and you don't experience success anywhere in your life where you're experiencing success, joy, fulfillment, you're in fine coordination of action with others. The, the, that our core business is enabling people to coordinate action better with others. You know, primarily we work with it with companies, but we also work with individuals. And that's, that's the core piece. And what we found is when you get to an organization that has done most of the work, right, where they are able to coordinate action well their limitation of growth are the unresolved traumas of the CEO and that's or the leadership team. And that's where we do the intensive work that I was talking about. So it's, it's trauma work in rewriting the traumas tied to in sometimes some medicine work uh, or the work with the biome to be able to naturally change the uh, neurochemistry of the individual. And so, that that core piece is kind of a one-two punch right on one side of it it's getting the team to organize and working good enough and then there's always a behavior that's going to stop stop us from progressing so we either can influence the behavior of the individuals in the organization or ultimately the biggest change comes from the leaders and it always comes back to trauma
0: and you and I both know because we we both had companies before we're doing what we're doing is our businesses never grew beyond our trauma. And, exactly. And then we were feeling like failures and looking at other people and, and like, it reinforces what's wrong? the trauma. Re- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good.
1: Yeah. So uh, that that's the core. That's the core of what we do, and it's it's pretty cool. It's it's cool because it's we have such a large impact because when we're changing when we're implementing this behavior change with individuals within the organizations, they're learning how to coordinate action better at home with their kids or with their spouse. So it it, being able to produce those fundamental distinctions enables success in business, success in home, success in love, and the freedom from the traumas creates such opportunity for growth. And that's where I've seen for us, like my, the amount of money we've made is a completely in alignment with how how much I heal. And the more I heal and the, yep. the, the better I get, the the better the more money we make. And and when we stopped focusing on making money and stopped started focusing on healing ourselves and through that healing others, well then money shows up. That
0: is it. That is it. That is that's that is a powerful truth. Yep. Yeah. Um, for the seventh person that reaches out. So what
1: I think they should have to reach out with is they have to identify or, or use our formula. Okay. So what is one choice that you've been taking that, and is it because it's not making you feel safe, subconscious, not bringing joy and fulfillment in your life, conscious or not bringing light and love through connection, higher consciousness. Mm. With, what's the no, or is it no's across the board? And then identify the action that would have yeses across the board. So they actually have to do a little bit of work.
0: That's awesome, I love it. And the person, the seventh person to send that to me uh, will get a free um, coaching call with you. Is that is that right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. Beautiful. that's fine with me.
0: Dude, beautiful. Brother, thanks for staying long and doing this. And I, I hope this is uh,
1: just, You're going to have to answer to Ann because I'm 20 (laughs) minutes late. Oh, shoot. (laughs) You're mad. You're going to have to deal with Uh her uh because I'm I'm not taking this front. So as soon as we're done, you're calling her. (laughs) Oh, good.
0: Uh, good. good. Uh, I'll smooth it out for you. I love you, brother. Have a beautiful night. And um, I can't, I'll see you in a month here.
1: Yeah, totally. See you then.
0: All right, brother. Bye.
1: Brother Larry, thank
0: you so much, brother, for everything. For everything, and thanks for coming on. And everyone, thank you for listening to this episode, this conversation between Larry and I. And um, whatever you're doing, you can ask those three questions, and you can identify where you are, where you want to be, and move towards that path. So I bless you all. I'm thankful for you all. Um, I haven't done this in the past, but if you are Um, I just released a new ebook on my website called Spirituality and Masculinity. And if you are a man or a woman and you wanna learn more about masculinity and the male dynamics and where spirituality fits in, uh, the new ebook is on my website and uh, you can go check that out. But everyone, thank you so much for watching, listening and following along this journey. I got amazing podcast episodes coming out um, here soon. So thank you. I bless you all. I love you all. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters for listening for support in your journey. Go to my website, lucasmack.com.